Hey everyone, welcome back to the Ultra Crew Hub Podcast. On this episode, we will be talking with Troy and Steve Meadows, a father and son duel in the Ultra community. Troy recently participated for the second time in the Grindstone 100 in the Shenandoah Valley of beautiful Virginia, brought to us by UTMB. Troy's father, Steve, has crewed Troy to both finishes, and this conversation not only provides information about this event from just any crew team, but from a team that is very dialed and experienced with this event. I want to give a shout out to Free Trail for bringing me and Troy together through the Free Trail community that Dylan Bowman and his team continue to grow. If you've not heard about Free Trail and the community that is being built, I highly recommend giving them a look at freetrail.com. I honestly can say there are not enough words to describe what is being built with Free Trail. You'll just have to see for yourself. With that, let's get on to Grindstone. Troy's one of those ones I like to follow, just seeing him get it, get it done out there on the trails. So he, he, he worked hard at it. I'll give him pretty much a beast. Got I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not the fastest beast, but I can get it done. That's for sure. So keeps going. So yeah, stuff. I hear you. I, not the fastest. I was actually trying to take a look at what I did this year. And I noticed, I, <laughs> for example, Uray 100 I ran this year. I completed it in 45 hours. And I'm like, that seems like a long time. That is a long time, Mason. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I was trying to figure out what went wrong and where it went wrong. And I finished the first 51 miles in 15 hours. And so it took me 30 to go another 50. And I'm like, something's gotta something's gotta change because that that just doesn't make any sense well that it's interesting that sounds like uh and we'll probably talk about it but you know for in grindstone my my first 50k went really well the next 10 miles were like okay they weren't great and then yeah yeah i it took me like 12 hours to run a marathon and then i had a great so <laughs> then i had a great last 50k and it's just kind of like it just i don't you know it just sometimes it sometimes yeah. it just doesn't you know i look at that time and i'm like so I ran 33, I ran just under, just over 33 hours and I should have done that marathon in six. And so like, I really should have ran a 27, if I, if I could have just held it all together for, and paced it well, I should have ran a 27 hour hundred and instead it turned it into, you know, turned it into a 37 hour day. So Exactly. It's so weird how, when you look back on those numbers, it's, it's like, wait a second, did that really happen? Yeah. Yeah. So. What do, you, what do you want to dive into, man? Um, so, yeah, we just want to go over, I mean, for this podcast, Steve, um, Troy's a little bit familiar. He's kind of seen what I've, what we've been putting together for this project. But this is just basically um, talking about, for you know, Grindstone, you were the crew. I was. You know, we want to hear from, we want to hear from you, like, what was your experience crewing this event from the time that Troy left that start line? You know, what did you do in between, you know, seeing him at the next crew location? And I'm pulling the map up now. If I, UTMB, you got to love their website. <laughs> I actually have it up too, but the map is not the best, I don't think. But yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just from your experience in Troy, you obviously ran the race, so you know kind of, you know, popping in and out of aid stations and where you saw Steve for the first time. But yeah, we just kind of want to know, for our listeners, what was your experience from a crew's perspective on, you know, getting to the next crew location? Was it difficult? Was it easy? Did you pass a gas station? How much time did you have? Um, did you find anything interesting food-wise, activity-wise? Was there... I always give the example that I ran a race in Minnesota during a snowstorm and it was snowy and rainy and my wife actually found a, a laundry mat between crew locations. So she's like, hey, I'm going to stop by and dry his clothes. Well, in the race book for this particular event, that's not even, nobody talks about it there. So oh. that was kind of one of the things that we put in there. If there's any any things that you could offer the listeners to better their experience next time based off your experience of having crewed the event, if that makes any sense. Well, uh, this is the second time I've crewed Grindstone for Troy. Uh, it was, you know, kind of last year was the first experience, and then this year, a little bit, I, even though they changed the course, I had a little bit better idea of what they're going to do. But I didn't see him okay. 32 
32.4 miles was the first time I could see him. So yeah, that's I, North North River North River Gap one. So yeah, North River Gap one. So I actually saw him leave, and we loaded up, went back to the house, and I got some sleep. So okay. Because this is a yeah, this is a late start. This is like a late yeah. start. Yeah. Five eight. Oh, TMB. Yeah, the six the six p.m. start, and then I sent you know I told him I was like it's gonna take me seven you know if I'm running great it's a it's a seven hour fifty k and you should just go sleep for four or five hours and come see me and cut and you know and 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 bring all the all the vittles with you but you know go get some rest. Yeah, gotcha. That's pretty much what I did and got up at. Yeah, I don't let them 12 o'clock that night and drove back out to North River Gap. Now, I have okay. finding the locations was pretty easy because I just put in the coordinates into my GPS and it just took me right there. So if you have a GPS and you can put in the coordinates, it's like, it's just like follow the idiot box right to the location. Yeah. Gotcha. So that, gotcha. Was, that was a piece of cake. Now, I was stressing a little bit trying to, I'm a planner. You know, okay. I just can't roll into something and like, you know, we're just going to wing this thing. I, I don't, I don't operate okay. that way. So I mm -hmm. pretty much figured out all the coordinates from, you know, pre-planning, getting on the map, looking at everything. And a couple of them I got from last year, but they changed the course. But when I got there, there was a QR code and I put my phone on that QR code when they were doing like the check-in or the, what was that thing? That, what would you call it? Pre-race. Kind of the expo, doing the race meeting. Yeah. So, okay. And I uh, hit that QR code. All of a sudden, all this information just kind of magically showed up on my phone. So then that kind of, then I had those coordinates again. So I just made sure they were double and triple checked them into my GPS in my car. Gotcha. And then I just, you know, punched them up and it took me right there. Now, if it hadn't been for that, I would have been, I don't know how I would have found it. The directions I didn't think were that good, but and then for the GPS, I'd still be out there wandering around George Washington National Forest looking for Sasquatch or something. And yeah, and, and there, there is no cell service. I mean, there's very, very, very limited cell service on the course. So, like, once you kind of get in, okay. once you get into the Shenandoah, like, you kind of go into it's, it's just basically a big dead spot. And, uh, yeah. And so, like, making sure you have those coordinates are, is, is really important, I think, especially because. You're spending a lot of time at night waiting for your runner. You know, you're driving around at night too, and all these forest roads, all these like forest service roads that you know, obviously you've never been on. So, and okay, so the so 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 UTMB has has a pretty good setup if you at least scan the QR code. All that information populates onto your device, and sure did. So, if you miss it, you're still going to be wandering around the forest. I'd still be out there. I'm pretty sure. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if Sasquatch had a jump, we we're so far out in the woods in some place, and Sasquatch had jumped out in front of the road, I would. Gotcha. Sure. Absolutely. So, and so that brings up a question in that perspective. Um, gas stations. So obviously, you're driving around to these these aid points, these crew access points. Are you passing many services? Or are you? Yeah, I mean, um, we were about twenty to thirty minutes outside of Stanton, Virginia which is a small town in the Virginia, you know, nice restaurants. I mean, everything that you were ever needed there. But I did, I did okay. pass some gas stations, but then again, I'm a planner. So the day before the thing, I filled the car up with gas. You know, I just, you know, I, I mean, the day of the race is a five o'clock start, six o'clock start. I got up first thing in the morning, found me some coffee, filled up the car, came back to the house. I'm like, Troy, let's get this act going here. Let's figure out what you want, take, and everything. Being the you know the planner that I am, so I made him sit down and forward, pack out everything, and we went over. You know what he wanted at this aid station. What he wanted me to do for his drinks and food, and so I'd have it there for him when he got there. So, awesome, awesome. yeah. And nine, you know, ninety percent of that was Troy planning it. The ten percent was me listening for sure. On directions. Yeah, and my dad, my dad's also pretty good about like. Yeah, he's also pretty good at being self self sufficient too. So he had his own little like goodie bag for the things that he would need for himself to like eat and food and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I think what you get at Mason is like, are there places to stop and get like last minute things or items for runners? Like, 
yeah, there's a couple, there's like one or two convenience stores that she'll pass. But for the most part, like my, like my dad said, like you're, you're 30 minutes, you're 35 plus minutes from civilization. Like from the start, you're 30 minutes from civilization. If you're out at, at North River Gap or, you know, Dow's draft, um, you know, you're probably 45 or 50 minutes out from civilization. And there's maybe one tiny gas station in a little tiny like no stop sign town no no no, no like yeah, yeah no stop sign town okay that you're kind of uh, navigating that i mean that being said you know there is time if you need to make that two-hour commitment out and back to go and and do things if if you want to as a crew but it it's definitely um i would i mean i would say it's not advised so okay so yeah just yeah make sure you're fueled up there was a race that i ran last year in Arizona where my wife came across a lady who had a quarter tank of gas and she was a long ways away from the nearest service station. Yeah. Lost, had no idea where to go. Um, so that's good to know. So yeah, fuel up before you head out. So that would be. Yeah. I, good... I really think that's is one of the key things. Just, you know, think it out, do it beforehand. Like I had to make sure the gas, the car was full of gas. I didn't want to have to deal with any of that. Cause then that just, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, not that I'm stressed, but I just didn't want to have any more stress. To my dad. It's going to be a long day. I just wanted to be one less thing I have to worry about. Now this first good. year. Let's not get curious to dad. Day, day, long day and a half, almost two days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the first year they did grindstone, I did run somewhere, found a convenience store that was very close to, um, I want to say it was Dow's Draft, but that you came through there in the daylight. Yeah. The first year, and I did run down and get some another couple bags of ice and some water and things like that because we, we did run a little low on water because I was filling up his bottles and stuff. So I bought some big jugs of water and some ice there, but. You know, but there was some things there, but not in the middle of the night. There's nothing. I mean, everything shut down out there. Just yeah, 30 yeah. minutes from anything closed. So. For sure. That's good to know. Yeah, that's uh, something that I would have not known about, not having spoken to some, you know, an experienced crew guy like yourself, yeah. having done this race before. Yeah, yeah and the, like there's camping. There was camping on site the first year. Is that like a Boy Scout camp? But the second year, you know, they have it at um, okay. nat Natural Bridges, uh, Natural Arches, excuse me. So like it's a little state park there. And it's it's a beautiful place, plenty of space. Um, but even that space, you know, even that even that location, you know, it's th it's 30 minutes from, you know, kind of from civilization. So if you're going to camp on site, you know, if you bring a trailer or something, you know, an RV or fifth wheel or something like that, just make sure that you're prepared. You know, if you want to go out to dinner the night before, um, you know, make sure you're prepared with a vehicle, you know, make sure you're prepared to, to take a 30 minute drive just to get, you know, to get, to get into town and stuff. And, and I will say Stan, ha I mean, they, it's, it's a really cool town. There's two little, two really cool little towns like right there that have anything and everything you could ever want. So great places to go out for dinner, okay. plenty of Airbnbs if you want to stay like you know, 30 minutes outside of the course. So, you know, the first year we camped and that was great. Added a little bit of its own stress to a 6 p.m. start um, for the runner, for okay. myself, you know, just because you're sleeping in a tent and, you know, you want to go take a nap and like, you, you definitely not sleep. You know, it's like two o'clock in the afternoon. It's like, you're going to lay down in a tent and sleep. Like no one sleeps. And so, yeah, the, yeah so the next year we, we have a friend, I have a friend that lives in town and, and she basically gave us like a three bedroom basement that she has. And it was like home. Oh, nice for us. Yeah. We had amazing accommodations. Okay. And so, you know, shout out to English Knowles, but, uh, I was able to like go into a dark room, turn on the AC and I actually got a 45 minute hour long oh, nap, you know, midday, um, you know, before we headed out to the start. So. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. That's good. So speaking of lodging, you guys had an opportunity with a friend, you camped the first year. What, what would you say, book this VRBO early or camp, get a spot? I mean, how, how far out from the race would you be looking at doing some sort of lodging? Because some people will, you know, depending on the event and the lodging in the area, will they'll book a year out. Yeah. I mean, to make sure they have. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we got lucky because my friend was just like, Hey, I may not even, you know, she was in Europe for UTMB over the time. And she has a friend that, that she was staying. She spent like two months in Europe and she has this house and she's like, uh, this door is open. Here's the address. Like, make yourself at home, right? So, like, we, I was like, bless. I mean, yeah, we did, and we did, and we. I was blessed just to have like that kind of access, you know, like right there in downtown okay. Staten. I think if you're, 
if you know you're going to the event, um, you know, I would look and you, you're planning on doing the Airbnb thing. Like I would definitely look and book. Cause like the one thing about this weekend is that I don't know if it's always going to be that way, but Stanton, and there's a couple small towns, there's a couple towns, there's Harrisonburg and there's Stanton. We stay, we were staying in Stanton. Stanton has what they call like the, was it myth and magic or magic and mystery or something? It's basically the Harry Potter, it's a Harry Potter festival and the whole town it's like 20,000 people descend on this little town and they're all dressed up like Harry Potter and it's cool. And like the church bells ring Harry yeah. Potter theme song and it's the thing, but like, okay, I bet if you were trying to find an well, Airbnb in that town, like a week before the, that's not, it's not happening a week before the event. Just not happening. So just to kind of, you know, yeah. I, I looked just out of curiosity and there was like one place that was outrageously expensive. No, I don't know. Like, you know, so, and it was far, it was not in Stanton. It was kind of out somewhere. So, yeah, and that's that's early. And I think because that festival goes on in Stanton, I think that's the reason why they, you know, Harrisonburg's a cool town. Me and my wife went there for dinner um, uh, the next day. We had lunch the next day, and I met a bunch of free trail people for beers like that 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 mid mid mm-hmm. midday, so we could, you know, tell war t- t- tell lies and war stories, and then commiserate before everyone hit the road. But um. I think that's the reason why they they uh, UTMB chose Harrisonburg as the the town for the event, the event town, and I think that's that was, okay. that was based specifically on the fact that I'm almost positive it's because Stan had the Harry Potter thing going on. So, gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Small town getting packed in by that many people can shut it down in a hurry. Yep. Good to know. Awesome. So. Okay, moving on. If so, Steve, you mentioned that North River Gap was your first, so you had you had time to go back to the house. I did. I went take a bit of a nap. Yeah, I got about probably about four hours sleep, three to four hours sleep, and headed back out. And then looking at the thing here, like, and then we went the Dallas Draft. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's in the middle. So how was? Go ahead. How how. How was North River Gap from from a cruise perspective? When you when you get to this aid station, was it were you able to park relatively close? Did you have to park far away? Pack in, probably about hard in, roll in, probably about a hundred meters away. Uh, even okay, 100, 150 meters away. I had a had a little cart that I loaded up with everything that, and then some. And then if I needed anything else, I could always run back to the car. But I kind of packed this little rolling cart up and you know, hauled it down there. I had, you know, it was raining the whole time we were out there. So I had an umbrella and rain gear on and just brought a chair, lay down and no trail service. Just, you know, but there's always people there and you, you meet people and people are so nice. So you just like a conversation with someone and, you know, next thing you know, their runner's coming in or, you know, Troy was coming in and then, you know, kind of pack up and you move on to the next one, and there they are again. You know, so, so yeah, for time, sure, kind of, for sure. time kind of flew pretty quick. But you know, parking for all the aid stations was, uh, you know, I didn't think it was very far at all. I mean, I, you know, a couple hundred meters, quarter miles, not that big a deal to me. Uh, so, yeah. but it was, yeah, and I want to close. I, w- I want to add North River Gap is a, it's a large aid station. It's there's, they have four, they have. Okay five six tents set up um they have a nice large space they had, wow. they had large spaces set up for running right. to get underneath and get out of the rain plenty of like accommodations but it was it's kind of a big lar. it's a big large area and there's like plenty of space for for everyone to kind of be a mingle so it's def- you're definitely not you're not kind of sandwiched in there it's not like a, a little 110 aid station off the side of off the side of the trail it's it's a large it's a it's a it's a large it's a very large aid station as aid stations go um and just to preface too, I think just for the listeners, like um, it's set up in a way that you, there's five places that you can see your runner from a crew standpoint and two of them, you see your runner twice. And then there's one place that you only see, that you see your runner once. So you're kind of going, you're kind of leap, you're, you're leapfrogging back. You're going out to these okay. aid stations then you're coming back and then you're staying at one. Then you're going out to an aid station then you're coming back to North River. So that's like kind of, there's only so you're, you're not having to, you're not going to six new locations or five new locations you're kind of like backtracking back to an aid station you've already gotcha been. so and that, yeah because it looks like yeah so Dow's Draft and North River Gap those are well Dry Branch that's a double up too right 
Dry branches, there's no crew access at dry branch. But yeah, you don't, oh, you don't right, let okay. up as a runner. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. The, the third one was Camp Todd, mile 82. And that's kind of, that's right. That one was out in the middle of nowhere. It was, uh, I'm glad I had all wheel drive and I'm glad I had not eight to nine inches of ground clearance. So a couple of places I had to go through. It was not for the, you know, the Priuses in the world, so to speak. So. Gotcha. You you could have made it work with the small compact, but it definitely is like a pretty bumpy, rough, just fire. It's a fire road. It's a it's a graded fire road, but it definitely has some serious potholes and, um, yeah. So, and that's going out to Camp Todd. Yeah, that's going out to Camp Todd. The other two were fine. Okay. Camp. The other two were fine asphalt roads, yeah. or or gra- gravel. Okay. Yeah. I think asphalt. Pretty sure. Yeah. Asphalt are very 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 finely really groomed, but Camp Todd, the way my GPS took us was kind of through the back. And there was a, there was a place I was talking to the guy when we got to Camp Todd and he said, yeah, I had to, somebody shredded a tire and someone had, you know, had to get a wrecker out there because they tore oil pan out. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and I, I said, I know exactly where he did it. And he said, I know you do because you came down that road. So, you know, there was a couple of schedules mm-hmm. in So, and of course there's no cell service out there, you know, wait, Again, waiting for Sasquatch to come get me. So, but and it was Camp Todd was kind of out there. It was a little, like a little. It was kind of on the side of the road. That one was, you know, okay. worse than three. Gotcha. So, so North River Gap. Is there anything you would do differently? At that aid station, or, I mean, this is your second time around. I think you pretty much have it figured out, but is there any any takeaways from this past year that you could now, North River, provide? Or... North River Gap, uh, I mean, it just, like I said, GPS took me there. And I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be early. I'm just going to be early. I'm not going to take anything to chance. So I'm probably there. If he says he's going to be there at 2, I'm probably there about 1230 at the latest. Okay. I'm going to be there early and wait. You know, because, I mean, what is there, I mean, you can, I'm just going to go and be there. Because, you know, if he needs something, I need to be there. Miss the aid station. One job, and that's to be at the aid station. For sure. 100%. Yep, that's a good crew. That's a good crew. All right, so from North Gap, you got Dow's Draft is the next location. And that's 13 miles on course, a little over 13 how how was this getting from North River to to Dallas? It was it's like a, I want to say fifteen minute drive, you know, and it was all oh, nice. you know, it was not bad, you know, like maybe twenty minutes, and then I just okay. put in the, you know I put in again the coordinates in the GPS, and I'd been to that one the year before, so I knew I knew when I got there I knew where I was supposed to be. There was no guesswork. Yeah, and this one you do have to hike about I'd say at least a quarter to a half a mile up and kind of up this sketchy dirt road or fire road up to where the actual thing is up the side of the mountain or up the hill to get there. So, okay. But that was so a bit of a walk. The first time there I had to park maybe, you know, I was a little further two maybe two, 300 meters away. And then you had to hike up into the woods and that's just, it's on each side of the road. So that one's kind of narrow. There's a lot of people up there, but yeah. again, everybody's just there to help out, you know? So, yeah, and Dallas Draft is set up, and Dallas Draft is set up pretty cool. Like, like my dad, like that, like my dad said, it's there's tents on both sides. So as you kind of walk, okay, kind of walking through, it's it, I, it's a fire road that would be big enough to get two two cars across, two two cars across side by side if you were driving on it. But it's definitely not like it, it ain't you know it ain't a high it ain't it ain't a highway you know, and it's basically just enough yeah, it's, it's just enough room to put the tents up, and then there's probably. You can walk two or three people abreast to get in the in the middle, and that's you know that's kind of how the aid station is set up. And what 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 most crew does is they they come in and set up on one end or the other of of where the tents are set up. And there's um yeah, and so and a lot of people I think um you know a lot of people brought because of the weather and just for preface like we had a tropical storm come through, so it basically like my dad said yeah. earlier rained the entire time. Um, a lot of people brought like easy ups and set up tents and the, there's space if you want to set up like a tent space or like a, a pop-up, like there's places for you to do that. There's not a lot of space, but you know, I happened 
like there was a run, someone waiting for their runner. They set up their pop up, and like uh, when I when I came into that aid station the second time, they were like, "Hey, here's your spot," and I'm like, "We can get to sit underneath the pop up. Oh, this nice. is awesome." So I mean, just to kind of you know with the weather, I think the only thing I would change about North River Gap and in general would be we had one umbrella, and I think I. It, because of the conditions, I would have gone out and got one of those like big golf umbrellas, you know, like those legit, okay, you know, like whatever, like four foot diameter umbrellas when you pop them up, you know, we, it was a decent, it was a decent umbrella and it worked really well, but just to, to be able to hold that thing up and, and cover both myself and, and my dad while we were doing, while we were doing crew work would have been nice. It was definitely, the umbrella was kind of just, just big enough for, for one person. So it's. It's something I just had in the car, so we didn't really plan that well for that. But I was covered and head to toe in Gore-Tex, so I didn't really care. I mean, I was like, I came prepared for rain. And uh, as far as my rain yeah. gear, I had Gore-Tex from toe to, toe to head. So in layers and extra clothes in the okay. car. Uh, so I actually used that umbrella to keep his gear dry in the car. I put the umbrella over the car so his stuff would be dry when he got there. So that's what I used the umbrella for. And I gave it to him if he wanted to get a couple of places. Okay. They had to pop. Yeah, that's all. That's always nice when they have multiple pop-ups or even like sharing somebody's yep. pop-up. That's uh, always that's always a bonus. And, and it's so cool that so many people out there that if their runner's not there, they're you know, come on in, we'll take care of you. So there's, yeah, the, the, the vibe is right there. The, the, yeah. When I was going to say the exact same thing, like everyone is super welcoming. Everyone is just there for not just their runner, but for everyone, you know? So yeah, pretty, pretty standard, pr pretty standard ultra community stuff going on out there. You know, Every, everyone just wants to, wants to see yeah, everyone for sure do good, you know? So <laughs> absolutely. Now you mentioned the roads were a little bit narrow. Um, a lot of people now getting into the trail scene and stuff are buying these these Modis, these little RVs and stuff like that. Is that something that you could access, is accessible for these roads? Or is it kind of, you know, you want something a little smaller? Did you get a Sprinter van in and out of these aid stations, Dad? Yeah, yeah I could have. <laughs> okay. I was, it was so funny. I was looking at, you know, small class BRV a while back and just about pulled the trigger on one. And as I was standing out there in the rain waiting for him to come, like, Probably should have bought that thing, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah, you could have made it. You could have made it work if you you know drive carefully. Okay. And, and thing mainly is, and you didn't really need four wheel drive, but a couple of places like going from out to Camp Todd, you needed some ground clearance. Would have been nice unless you just knew okay. the thing. But yeah, there was quite a few. I saw a few Class Bs out there, so they were a couple here. Okay. What? Yeah, I've been I've been traveling to a, quite a few events since starting the the Ultra Crew Hub. Just just getting a good feel for the for the cruise from the cruise perspective, and I'm noticing a lot more Class B's Sprinter vans. I mean, sleeping four people, two people. Some look like they could sleep an entire family of six with a Brady Bunch, and I'm like, <laughs> How the hell did you get that up here? Like, I was at Hard Rock this last year, and I'm just I'm like, Wait a second, you know how how is this possible? And you hear them coming down the road, and hands you know the cupboards are just slamming all over the place and you're just like that ah, just that's that's gonna be a mess well you probably have to secure some things on the inside but you definitely could have you know got one you know to those three eight stations could have got and actually they gotcha well a funny side story this 2022 hard rock i was in a subaru outback and we were going up to Oh, Animus Fork area. We were heading up that road where they come down from American Basin. Um, Killian, uh, the CEO of Normal, was in a, like a Honda Civic going up Animus, and she dropped me in a Subaru. <laughs> this little two-wheel drive car, and she was flying up this road. I, I honestly don't know how there wasn't oil and, and everything else just littered that road but yeah she made it she made you it. know what if you know what you're Funny. doing and you can pick a good line it's you'd be out you'd be surprised the things i've seen in places where i brought my truck out there and like you know like there's a there's a subaru and i'm like how did a subaru get through what i just got you know like in in, in so it's just you just 
you don't you never know like a cr there's like a honda crv and you're just like wait a minute. oh for sure and my truck's jacked up on 33s and wrapped in metal like how did you do that so yeah I think the added the added benefit to the the title saying rental or something. <laughs> kind of, like, whatever. There you go. So what you're saying what you're saying, Mason, is if you do get the rental and you go to Hard Rock, pay for the go ahead and just pay pay the twenty dollar a day insurance because you know it's not if it's when you're going to dump the oil pans. So. You get the full coverage. Exactly. The full coverage. Exactly. <laughs> you remember that. That's good. That's good. Yeah, we almost uh, pulled the trigger on a Class B for the same reasons of going to these events, and we ended up settling for a uh, not settling, but we decided not to, and we bought a we bought a little trailer called a Rogue, yeah. and we're going to use that this next this next year. I'm going to take it out to Hard Rock for a few weeks and see how it performs. So we'll see. All right. So moving on. So we got. Uh, Dow's draft, we just spoke on that one. So that's tents along both sides, pretty accessible. You said it's about a quarter mile walk up a kind of an avenue road. Yeah, I mean it's it's just a fire road, but it's kind of an overgrown fire road. Of course, people have walked up and okay. it's 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 not bad, but you do have to kind of hike up into the dark there. And it's at night, you better have a headlamp or something because it's it's you know, it's it's dark out there. So you know No, for sure, for sure. I had a couple headlamps and just strapped one on my head and started pulling my little cart up the hill till I got there, you know. And they they had it lit up pretty nice. They had some like Christmas lights things going. It's a laser thing shining up into the trees and so, you know, you <laughs> can't really get lost. Which is a good thing for me for sure. So but yeah, it was nice. And we just you just pick a spot, set up your camp, you know, strike up a conversation, wait for your runner to come in. Hang out. Hang out. So such a good time. And I've never met a stranger, so I'm chatting with somebody. Chat somebody about your story. Maybe make friends. Uh yeah, it's that's awesome. Well, if, Troy, if we ever run a race together, because my wife's just like your dad. I mean, I've I've come into aid stations and I can't find her. And I'm like, where are you at? <laughs> I mean, she's usually she's usually really, really well. She'll probably listen to this and smack me once or twice, but yeah, she uh she likes to chat it up, and there's never a stranger in an in a in an aid station. And quite frankly, when I come into them, there's so many people around, and there's such a good conversation going on. I'm like, why am I running this? Yeah. This is more fun. Like, I just want to hang out here. So that's good. Well, I will say when I when I left Al's draft uh, the first time, and it's in the middle, it's like six o'clock in the morning, and it, the sun's about to come up. You know, it's a you know, morning's going to come. It's been raining the whole time, but. Right to the left is the crew was the crew tent, and I remember Dad had set up right as you come in the aid station. So I sat down, we did our thing. I mean, I spent I spent at least ten I spent ten minutes at every crew spot. I didn't spend a lot of time at other mm -hmm. aid stations, but I definitely like I sat down and took my time to kind of make sure that that I was regrouped. And um, when I went to walk out, I looked over to the left and like, I mean, it kind of reminded me of a mash unit. Like people were just. And this is only, this is like 40 miles, you know, we're talking 45 miles deep, but you could just tell people we're dealing with running through the night and running through the, through, through all the, all, all the weather and, and all that stuff. But they, I mean, they had it, you know, they had accommodations for everybody, but it's definitely, uh, yeah. Um, and then you come back to Dow's draft. So I don't, you know, dad, I'm not sure what you did, um, in between, but like I said, I, I think I left that aid station. I was like, I'll see you in. I'll see you in seven seven hours. eight hours. I was like, I'll see you in seven hours. Yeah, because you and twelve hours later. Yeah, because you've got another. So. <laughs> yeah, because you've got another good marathon there. Yeah, and that's the marathon. Yeah, I'm talking sure. about. So and that's yeah. mile four, yep. forty-five to mile seventy-two almost. Um, it took me twelve hours to get through that, and it just anyway. So yeah. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, well, I think. Go ahead. So at that one, you know, when he left, I said, see, in seven hours, I, was, you know, I started doing the math. Mm -hmm. You know, an hour, but I'm going to get in and get to bed. You know, it's two hours. So, you know, I just said, I just crawled in the back of my SUV and fell asleep for a couple of hours. I woke up and I'm like, well, I still got five hours. So I did head back in the stand. I made that drive in the stand and, you know, went and got some breakfast. Yeah, you know, I went to my local Dunkin' Donuts and got my extra large coffee and a couple of donuts and kind of hung out. You know, of course, it's raining, and I headed back out there, you know, and I'm thinking, well, you know, I got a couple mm -hmm. more hours he's going to be in, you know, because that's when his seven-hour thing turned into 12 hours. So if I'd known it was going to be 12 hours, I probably would have gone back to the house and got complete. But 
you know, so I just yeah. sat out there for about four and a half, five hours in the rain waiting for him to come back. But, you know, I met some people. Some people had a pop-up. They said, come to underneath the pop-up with us, you know. Yeah. Then that's when Natalie is, you know, his wife and son, or my grandson, they came up right about 45 minutes before you came in. She timed it perfect. She knew better. She knew. It was yeah, just just to, just to pref just to preface the day before, she's like, I was like, listen, there's one spot where you can bring Logan up because it'll be the middle of the day. You know, it'll be like noon. Right. I'll be getting in around noon. Yeah. It'll be perfect. You can get up, you okay. can do your morning thing with the kid, you can go get some breakfast, yeah. take the 45 minute drive out and meet me. It's perfect timing. And I was like, I, I will be there at like noon. You know, it'll be seven at at the most. It'll take me eight hours. You know, just show up at 11:30. You'll see me. And like, I I remember coming into the aid station. I just looked and I'm like. How long have you been here? Because I was like, I did not expect her to be there. Because it's like four thirty. It's yeah. like four thirty by the time I actually get in there. You know, it's like four hours, almost five hours after when I told her to show up, and uh, she looked at me and she's like forty five minutes, and I just started laughing. I'm like, no, well, yeah, I was like, yeah. I know. Well, she knows too, because like I'll go on these training runs and I'll be like, she's like, when should I expect you? I'm like, it'll only take me four hours, and then you know, she's like, okay, cool. So I'll see you in six and a half, and I'm like, no, 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 it'll only take me four hours, you know, so. <laughs> She knows. She she definitely knows. But yeah, and then you come back to Dell's draft. So it's just kind of like the same thing, but in reverse, because you come in one side, then you go out and you come back in and go back through the other side. So, yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Okay. But there's, so there's another one. So Camp Todd was kind of the more remote one. Yeah. It's kind of out there. I think I was on a dirt road or a fire, not a fire road, but more of a, a two lane dirt road the whole time to that that to that one and uh there was a couple sketchy spots from going through there that i'm glad i had all wheel drive you know because of the rain you know it had been raining for all day you know and all night and then you know and then there was a couple sketchy spots i know that's where the guy lost the oil pan you know and probably cut his tire too okay then i worked through there and it wasn't that far that was probably another 15 minute drive going slow and actually, you were passing mm -hmm. runners on the way there because they were running down that road for the most part. A lot of the yeah. you know, okay. runners there. And so I got there, and it was just that when it was just pouring rain. And I actually fell asleep in the car there and kind of woke up. I'm like, heck, I hope I didn't miss him. But I was right there. I mean, I was yeah, parked sure. right at the station. He, he would have to run by me to see me. So I actually got out of the car. and Let me go check and see if runner, I don't remember your bib number, but check the bib number. He said, no, he hasn't come in. So I'm like, good. So I went and got the stuff set up. Sat in the rain some more, and he came in. You spent a little bit of time at that one too, so yeah. They had a. They yeah, had, it was let's just say, let's just say they have a porta potty. So I used, I definitely used the porta potty, uh, and then yeah, changed my shirt, sopping wet. So it was, it was time. It was about to get dark too, and so I knew I was like, hey, I should put on a, a little, maybe a little bit of a warmer, warmer uh, layer. Um, yeah, and spent, you know, took my time, and then that's the last. Leaving that aid station is the last big climb. You know, it's about 2,700 feet of, of, of climbing out of that aid station. And, and you only have, you know, you about got, you have about nine miles, um, to camp Todd. So you just kind of come right out of the aid station and you climb for four miles and then you descend back down for four miles back in the North river gap. So it's definitely, uh, um, yeah, it's like 2,700 up and then like 3,300 down. Wow. coming out of that aid station so it's kind of if you're a runner you just definitely want to like be ready you know it's only nine miles to the next crew spot but you know it's gonna it's the last big punchy climb you've already climbed at that point you've already done like eighteen thousand feet of of avert um plus ish not to mention in a monsoon yeah in a monsoon yeah. i mean it's you know in, yeah and i i ran the course i ran the course the year before in dry conditions and it's still like it's still a really technical race um yeah. especially if you if you're not used to the beast coast, it's not like, to be honest, like I thought it was going to be more technical. Um, I think this route, I think this year's version, this course, I think it runs faster, but I think it's okay. more technical. It's missing like a thousand feet of climbing or 1500 feet of climbing, but there are sections that just have more, there's like less, it's hard because there's fire road that's very runnable. And there's two, there's two stretches like leaving Dow's draft there's two stretches of fire road that's like very very runnable and if you have legs like it's basically flat or like a slight grade up so if you actually have legs like you can cruise um 
but there's more miles on like disgusting Shenandoah slabby slippery rock and route so yeah I gotta get out there and run this stuff yeah, it's fun I mean you ran um, you did Cruel Jewel so it's like I would okay. I, I don't know how much similar it is to that course I know the climbs are longer and I know a Cruel Jewel it's just like not like a, a bunch of paper cuts but you know it's a lot of thousand foot a lot of thousand you know little 800,000 foot things just stacked on top of each other so um yeah it's tough it's tough um you know i ran faster this year than i did last year um in the in in, in a, you know 30 i ran 30 minutes faster on the course in a tropical storm so i'm you know i don't know hmm. felt like i was fitter but yeah that was my Good. first hundred no, last year so yeah you smashed you smashed it both i mean still that's any 100 mile distance on any terrain still it's tough still impressive it's it doesn't matter i was at the hennepin 100 just a couple of weeks ago filming and crewing for one of my friends and she absolutely crushed it and the hennepin i think there's 800 feet of gain in the entire course nice and still hard oh well, i mean still, I, I would argue that a, a flatter it just it's all about working the right mu it's about getting the right muscle groups prepared you know, it just, it's different. Like when you're running flat, like your hips, your hip flexors have to be on point because that's how you're going to run the whole race. You know, it's a runnable race. You have to be prepared to run a hundred miles. And like, if your hip flexors go out, like, see you later, you know, it's, it's, it's a done deal. Similar to like, if you have a lot of climbing, like yep. your quads better work and your glutes better work really, really well. So, um, yep. Yeah, so after you leave Camp Todd, um, and that aid station was like a little two-tenter, and they had really good provisions there, and there was solid, there was, you could tell, like, solid old-school Virginia runners running that aid station. Like, they, they there was a good crew running that aid station, but it definitely was okay. as sparse as, as the other crew spots go. The other crew spots were really large, very, very large aid stations. Um, and then you go back into North River Gap. Okay. You know, so... Nah. Good. So Camp Todd's pretty small. Do you do you think at this time in the race the runners are getting pretty spread out? Oh yeah, they're spread out. They're at, spread at out. Camp and what what I should mention too at North River Gap, you could if you hold your phone at the right angle, you could get a little bit of a cell service. And they mm -hmm. TV had this um, the app, and you could actually they'd give you a prediction. You could pick up on their app, their pacing or whatever. You could actually kind of predict on that app. They were kind of when you thought they would get there. And then surprisingly, it was pretty accurate. Troy was probably within 10 minutes of the time that it was kind of giving you each time. And then you could get that at the pending line too. But, I mean, I just, you know, you could barely get the cell signal and you could check the app and it would pop up like he's here, here, here. A little, a little app that they had. You could check in with the, where they were. But the only place you could use it to get cell service was at North River Gap, and it was like one bar. Okay. So, but yeah. so, and then pretty much anywhere else on the course, cell service is very, very. I was limited. I was trying to listen to the Carolina football game that was on, and I couldn't get satellite okay. radio. It would break up between the rain. Oh wow! The rain and the the coverage of the forest. It would it would it would come in and go out. So I was having trouble getting my satellite radio. Thank goodness I didn't have any trouble with the GPS. So, but yeah, but yeah, there was no cell service other than there and at the, uh, and at the start finish line, you had a little bit of cell service too. So I did, okay. I did kind of nice. that, but you could, you know, pull up the app and it kind of gave you a little, a pacing thing and, you know, where they kind of, I guess they crossed some timing mats out there somewhere and they judge at the pace they were going when they would come in and yeah. Troy was pretty close to that each time. Which was kind of a big help. It's like too. it's like the same predictive algorithm that they use actually at at the UTMB races. So it's pretty. It's something they've been like honing over over the years. But they did a decent job of, uh, yeah, of kind of knowing. I will say, I found my legs leaving Dow's draft, and I came into Camp Todd like an hour faster than I told my dad I'd expect to see him. And wow, I really thought, nice. I really thought I was gonna. I'm like glad I saw his truck, but I mean I saw his his. his uh, this little SUV, but he got it. He literally just got out. He's like, Oh, I was taking a nap and I just got out of the car to get set up. Like, so I was, you know, it was, it was, uh, yeah. Good timing. Yeah, good timing. That's perfect. 
Yeah, it's pretty impressive. When I ran Wasatch this year, they they have ham radio operators. And these guys, because Wasatch, you have to have your crew is at a crew staging area because it's a watershed and the crew access points are fairly small. So you have to check in at a crew staging area and they will give you a pass to send you up to the, the crew access point. The ham radio operators were within 10 minutes of me arriving at that aid station. And it was, my wife was like, wait a second, you guys are talking on radios and you figured this out? Like this is, this, yeah, that's just so fun. That is cool. So, and that was a two, two of the aid stations. Yeah. You had the, you kind of had to wait at a staging area and then, yeah, the, they would radio down and say, okay, send, you know, bib number so-and-so is going to be here in about half an hour. And it's about a 20 minute drive. So yeah, it'd run up there and here I came. So no, that's good. That's good to, to have the technology that they're coming out with nowadays to be able to, we can watch the runners and be prepared and be ready for them. Well, good. So anything else on this race? I mean, it seems, seems like this is one, one race that's fairly, I mean, we can ask the question now on a, on a scale from one to 10, one being the easiest and 10 being the most difficult. What, what would you put this at from a cruise perspective for a first time crew member? If you had the GPS coordinates, I thought it would be, it was pretty easy. The first time I did it last year, we had more spots and I, and the guy gave out the GPS coordinates on the the handout and um i th- I thought it was pretty easy um, you know i i yeah i'd give it a three maybe a four i mean i don't know from one to ten i thought okay. it was pretty easy because i last year i did okay. had more stops and i had more places i needed to find and i didn't have any trouble then there were some people that got lost but then they didn't have the gps where you could put in the coordinates so if you had yeah, that, a piece of cake if not it's all up in the air my opinion so. Yeah, because they handed out turn by turns because a lot of people were asking for it. And I think those were obviously the people that got lost. Um, they weren't very good okay. last year. Yeah, do I, I didn't. You're saying you're saying one to ten, ten being hard and 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 one being easy. I would, yeah, I would say this is probably like a a two or a three as long as you got the coordinates right, especially because you're just kind of looping back to the same aid. You know, you're kind of you're you're following steps you've already taken and you're only you're, you're not going yeah. to a lot of new spots you know um this year was definitely easier than the first year because i think i met you i thought you had five or six places last year a couple yeah of and yeah. you doubled you could see you could you could see the runners the first year at well like the first year i ran but the last year of the old course um before the utmb acquisition uh, the last three aid stations, you could see them, and then you still had those doubles. So there was like seven spots that you could okay. get runners. Um, yeah, so. so yeah. No, that's good. That That's good yeah. to know that. But I would start just doing research and get those coordinates. You know, I mean, get, and I would, you know what, if I do it again and I didn't have GPS, I would go buy GPS. I really would. I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on cell service and think you're going to get there or the turn by turn. Cause you're, I mean, some of those back roads, they're just back, good old back Virginia country roads. And there might be a sign and there may not be a sign. So, you know, the, the, I like the place like exactly. that. Road 832 is, might have a sign. Road 832 probably is not. Yeah. And can I just declare? Yeah. Just to clarify, you know, my dad says his GPS, it's the one that's like built into the, to his vehicle. You know, it's the navigation unit in, in, in the, in the car, as opposed to trying to use your phone. Cause you have to, you know, just to use your phone, you have to have service to use the Jeep, you know, to load the app and make the app function. You have to have service on your phone. So. Well, for sure. Scan. Scanning the QR code, what what program are they using in that? Or are they just giving you the coordinates? They were Google mapping it, and I think there's probably a function uh, where you could turn you once you scanned all their coordinates. I bet you could set Google Maps to work offline. I think you probably could do that, and it would just download all that for you, that route, and 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 give you all that routing. But you'd have to kind of play and mess with that. I know there's ways to do that with Google Maps. Um, and with Google in general, you can like take documents you're working on and, and make them offline version. So it kind of saves it on, mm-hmm. on your hard drive or, you know, your phone storage. Um, one thing I wanted to mention too, like the first, the first and the last three miles of this race is all ran on road. So, you know, for the runner kind of be, pre- yeah, you know, yeah. be prepared for that. It's pretty rolling, but relatively flat and fast. So, yeah. Nice. 
Okay. So when I Googled that QR code, it came up with a map and you touched the different stations and it came up and gave you all that, you know, uh, longitude, latitude, coordinate stuff. I, I for sure took screenshots of that for each one. So I would have it because if I said, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, I'm not going to be able to re-pull this back up. So when I pulled yeah. up that, I took a screenshot and saved it to my photos. So I, I had those coordinates and actually shared that with a few people out there. And what was the first one? North River Gap. And they said, how do you get to the next uh-huh. one? I said, you got a GPS? And she said, yeah. I'm like, here you go. Just put these in. And she said, thank you. A couple of people. and gave that, you know. Then oh, she, good. Well, they took a picture of my phone, I think, is what it was. Okay. It's good to know. That's definitely, uh, yeah, we've we've experienced some races that I've been in where, you know, yeah, not having the right coordinates or missing a road, trying to go off the directions that are written by the race director. Maybe the topography has changed a little bit or a road's been overgrown and you miss things. And Or the course changes and they didn't update the website because they just, it's the one thing you, for, I mean, you just, some of these things you just forget that you're like, oh, that's right. I have directions embedded in three spots on the website or whatever it is. And like, you know, depending on where you're getting your information from. So. Yep. hundred percent. I mean, when we did last year's race, he had each thing kind of written out with the written directions and he had coordinates on it. So I'm, I'm sitting in the car like, couple weeks out trying to put in these coordinates and those coordinates wouldn't work i'm like i had no idea what he was doing and i went back and got a look then he had a little chart buried somewhere in the directions i said well these are different coordinates i put those coordinates in and those work so he had two different sets of coordinates on his direction for last year's race not this the one we just did the first time okay and i'm like i you know i'm sure that's just something that flipped his mind as a race director because he's got you know, a thousand people pulling at him and a thousand things to do. But I mean, he did have the right coordinates, but. For sure. For sure. Okay. Well, good to know. So yeah, it sounds like a pretty simple race to crew. I think so. Um, yeah, I think, I think the crux is just because it's a 6 p.m. start and depending on your runner, I think the average, I mean, the average finish time here is like 30 is, is, is 30 hours plus, you know, for this race yeah. for most, you know, for, yeah. for your average middle of the pack runner, it's a 36 hour cutoff. So I think you just have to make sure, I think from a crew standpoint, like, geez, you know, you have to take care of yourself. So just make sure you're getting that sleep because you know, you're going to go into the night and then the next night, you know, like I finished at three o'clock in the morning. So my, you know, at that point, you know, my dad had been up for 30, you know, 33 hours crewing me. And, you know, he man, like you said, he managed to get in, you know, eight hours, I think, yeah, six to seven hours of sleep, you know, in that, in, in that time period, because there are pretty Mm -hmm. decent windows of time. If, if you are, um, even if you're running at the front of the pack, you know, it's only an 18, it's a 19 hour finish if you're at the front of the pack. So there's still places for you to 20 hour finish. There's still places for your crew to get, you know, that 20, uh, two hour, yep. two hour nap in between aid stations. So, but the six, yeah, that's a good, point. yeah. The 6 PM start messes with you, man. It messes with the runner and messes with the crew, yeah. you know, it just makes it for a long, it makes it for a, a long two days for everybody. So. Yeah, I, I can't imagine a 6 p.m. start. I mean, I heard, you know, UTMB and the 6 p.m. starts over in Europe, and then this one. I mean, Cruel Jewels, a noon start, and it was driving me nuts because I was amped and ready to go at, like, 5 a.m. Yeah. And I'm like, I got seven more hours to wait? And it was, noon start was just weird to me. Well, I, I like to, I, I say, it gives you way too much time to contemplate your life decisions, you know? You're like, you, you know, <laughs> the, the 5 a.m. 100 start is pretty, you know, you get up at 3 in the morning, you do your business, you get your, you get your, you get a cup of coffee or two, you like maybe stretch or something, eat some bread, eat, eat, you know, some toast and put your gear on. And I mean, you don't really have time to think about what you're doing. You're just going through the the checklist and getting to the start line on time and, and doing it as opposed to, you know, a noon or 6 PM start. It's like, wow, what am I doing? I'm, I'm doing this. Okay. You know, so it does give you time to double check, triple check, and quadruple check your gear and make sure that everyone's on the right page from a crew standpoint. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty stressful from a runner. I I think it's pretty stressful from a runner standpoint. So I I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it. Carol, Brody and I have had this conversation. I'm like, I still don't get it. <laughs> what? Well, I've always heard the reason UTMB just wants to give everybody an opportunity to run through the night. Yeah. 
It makes everyone, everyone has to do the night. That's what says. I just tell everybody, get faster if you don't want to run through the night. <laughs> and I think, or run 50 milers and 50k yeah from, and from the from the grindstone race standpoint you know they're trying they've always tried to be like a UTMB qualifier so they were you were able to get points for this race and now it's it's obviously like it's a part of the world series it's also um i mean it's a part of the yeah. UTMB acquisition it's also like an anomaly this race you get a western states qualifier if you finish the 100 you get a hard rock qualifier if you finish the 100 and you get five stones mm-hmm. or four stones so now like Yep. You, know, you can run one race in in the continental United States, and it gets you, it, it it gets you admission into three lotteries, and they're the three you know they're they're the prestigious lotteries. They're the, they're the races everyone wants to run, um, and I think the six p.m. start makes it difficult. It, it adds the di- it adds a layer to the difficulty factor, and I think that's what allows it to kind of stay on the radar of all those races lotteries is the fact that it is a six p.m. start. It's a beast coast race, but you know, it's, I mean, on paper, it's, it's, it's a tough race. Don't get, don't get a twist. It's a tough hundred miler, but on, on paper, um, I think there are harder races on the East coast, uh, that, that could garner, garner okay. you that, you know, um, but it's definitely the 6 PM start. I mean, I don't think any, you know, I don't think anyone would argue that it just makes the race that much harder to do. So. Nice. Yeah. It's always baffled me the 6 PM start, but that's a good point, Troy. We don't do it because it's easy, Mason. I know, man. I know. It was easy. Everybody contemplating life's decision. Exactly. Exactly. Well, gentlemen, thank you. Um, Are there any other takeaways from this race from a cruise perspective, Um, Troy? Even you coming into to the aid station for for the crews out there to, you know, if it's raining like you said, like it was this year, torrential rain. Is there something that crews could bring um, for their runner? Is there any other takeaways you guys have on this race in general? I mean, one one thing I did is I had a bottle that was like element or like electrolyte. You know, I didn't carry electrolytes with me. I had um, my maiden fuel source was Roctane. So I was drinking most of my calories and I had other other foodstuffs I was eating. Um, but you know, I had both, I had two sets of bottles and I told them, you know, I told my dad, I was like, hey, listen, I'm going to come in we're going to change out all the, we're going to pull the food out that I'm, you know, we're, we're, here's the bag. Like, um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of gallon Ziplocs and we just have, I literally have a gallon Ziploc, mm-hmm. Ziploc for each eight, for each cruise stop. And I, depending on what I don't take, I say, Hey, take this stuff, put this in the, in the next cruise spot and bring it, you know? And then I would put in my, I would take out my food stuffs. We would replace the bottles. He would already have the bottles ready to go. So we weren't filling and mix. I wasn't having to fill and mix. And I would grab all the bags of, of, of Roctane that I would take with me. And I would grab all, all the solid food and, 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 uh, the other calories I was taking with me. And then, you know, that part would be done. And then we could start triaging the like, well, what do you want? Like, you know, dad was really good at saying, Hey, they have soup here and they have mashed potatoes. I remember we, I came into Dallas draft one and he, I'm like, what do they have here? He's like, they got these mashed potatoes and I was like, do they have, they have broth? And I'm like, okay, put the mashed potato. Here's my cup, put the mashed potatoes in the broth and bring me that, you know? And so I sat there and ate yes. and I'd eat two, you know, I ate two or three servings of that. And then I had my own potato chips. And so I'm like crushing up potato chips and throwing it in there. And, but it was kind of like the, Hey, this is what they have. You know, my dad would go in and kind of look at the aid station and say like, here's the solid food. Cause I know Troy doesn't want anything else. It's not solid. He's got everything. I got all the sugar I could, I got all the sugar I can, I could deal with on me, you know? And so, yep. you know, that's what, you know, he would say, Hey, here, these, they have, they have sausage here. They have mashed potatoes here, the broth, they have noodles here. Or, you know, one thing I did is I had two different cups of noodles and I said, Hey, at this aid station, and this aid station, get hot water or broth, make the ramen. And then we had a double walled, um, like coffee cup, you know, that keeps things hot. And mm-hmm. I was like, yep. pour it all in there because that way you can make it. And two hours later, it's still going to be hot for me. You know, even if so, if I take a long time, you don't have to like, I'm not waiting three minutes for the noodles to get ready. They're just sitting there ready. And if we have to, we can just like top it off with hot broth and it'll be hot again. So, um, you know, there's a couple things that we did. I think having the multiple bottles, the first time I had bottle swaps and I thought that was great, even though I spent 10, mm-hmm. 10 minutes at it, sitting in a chair every time I came into an aid station, it was nice to just like, get all that out of the way and then focus on, you know, what are the calories I'm going to put in here at the aid station and what are the things like, what do I have to triage? You know, like I didn't have any major sure. issues. Like I didn't have, there wasn't like blisters. It was, 
you know, I had a couple changes of socks and I changed, changed my socks. I didn't change my shoes, but just to kind of get the important stuff as far as the calories out of the way at every crew stop and then be able to kind of take a look at and triage, like, what are we going to do next or, or, or what's important, like for me to get done now, um, as opposed to like Mm -hmm. having to fumble with bottle tops and like, you know, pouring powder. I was, I've, I've already spent hours doing that at every other aid station, you know, cause you'd come in, fill your bottles, dump powder into it, shake it up. But when you got to the cruise spot, it was like a nice quick change. So. I would say. No, for sure. I'd... I'm sorry. I would just say just plan, just have it all ready before the race starts. I saw so many people in the parking lot after the start of the race trying to organize stuff in the back of their cars. And I'm like, I'm going to home go to sleep. I've already done this stuff. So, you know, but just plan. Just have it all planned out and organized. Yeah, for sure. So let me ask you real quick, Steve. Did, because my wife has actually started to do this out of, <laughs> the necessity for me coming into an aid station or wanting a specific shirt or a pair of socks and trying to tell her where it's at. She's actually packing all of my gear methodically for, for her to be able to access. Did you pack any of Troy's stuff or did Troy have all of his stuff packed for him? Troy packed it, but he showed me where it all was. Like, you know, I think if you have, if I need medical, it's in this little, like, you know, blister stuff is in this little pocket. And you know, that's clothes I have in the, you know, he says, you know, he would come in and again, what I give Troy is Troy, every time I've, you know, this is 200 milers I've crewed him and every, every aid station he comes in, he still has a sense of humor. He's always been very alert, very aware of what he needs and wants. And he just kind of says, you know, down in shirt, get a shirt out. I'm digging through and there's a shirt, but you know, that's probably a good idea. I probably should be more active in packing some of that stuff. You know, or, you know he kind of says it's in that pocket, pull it out. I mean, yes. Yeah. Just following yeah. yeah, and shout out to Victory Victory Sports Design, but I have a, a pretty nice Victory bag. It's got it's meant for crew. It's got multiple compartments, so you can kind of like dictate. This is where calories go. This is where, um, this is where the salt tat. This is where the salt is. This is where the first aid is. The middle section is where all the clothes are sitting in Ziploc bags. And um, and then what I did was I had just a cloth grocery bag. Well, not a cloth, but like you know a, a reusable grocery bag with with yeah. all of the gallon bags just stacked right in front in order stacked and so it was like perfect he could just go through and grab them out and and, and bring them with him so um but yeah yeah i mean I, I'm, I'm my dad's a planner i'm pretty methodical when it comes down to these things but um i would say uh i'm also i mean i could only for hundreds like i'll just i'll just step <laughs> i'll step to a 50 miler and just be like let's do this you know what i mean so yeah but, right but yeah i feel like you definitely have to be on point and um, you know, something I learned from my, from my lat, from the hundred miler before this one, like I put all my clothes in Ziploc bags now. Like I, I made the mistake of like yeah. not doing that once and my drop bag got drenched and I just, you know, when everything's wet and you're wet and all you, all you've been thinking about for 10 miles is the dry socks that are waiting for you in your drop bag and they're just not dry anymore. It just kind of, it's a pretty deflating experience. So, yeah. Well, send me the link to that bag that you had just mentioned. Oh, sure. You have yeah, it available, yeah, yeah. and I'll add that. And I'll add that in the notes and give them a shout out because that's one thing that that has been on the back of our minds with Ultra Crew Hub is you know trying to figure out a way to design some sort of bag for crew. I mean, we've got a couple ideas floating around, um, and that's one of the phases that we'll be moving into is trying to get crew some sort of a pack system, so to speak, if that makes any sense to to be able to put all the gear and have it organized and accessible for the runners. Yeah, Victor is Victor's awesome. He's he's done tour twice. He's used to run back, you know, he, he was part of the Montreal team back in the day. Like he's a he's a veteran of of the of of ultra marathons and uh um you know, it's kind of something he's put a lot of time and energy into over the last like I'd say decade. He has he's hasn't ran. Nice. He used to be like pretty competitive like back in the early aughts. Um and okay. he just kind of got into just like, you know, like all of us, we just loved it. He just loved to run. And then he like realized like, I wish I had something that was perfect for crew. Um, and so that's kind of where that, that's how like the, the company was born. So. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Send, send me the link and we'll add it in, in the show notes. Yeah, that'll be great. Totally. Cool. Well, Steve, Troy, appreciate you guys taking the time. And I do apologize for being a little late up front. Um, 
calendar wasn't quite necessarily updated properly. So I've been traveling a little bit and, but here we are. Yeah. All, um, all good, talking about the grindstone. And, it's all good. All good. It's a pleasure. Yeah, man. Glad we could, glad we could get it done and yeah. Excited to, excited to be on, man. So. Well, for sure. And yeah, if you guys have any other thoughts or ideas and just toss them my way, um, and we'll look forward to any other races, Troy, that you run and, and Steve, that your crew, we're more than uh, happy to bring it back on the pod. And that's our goal is to get as many races um, and information from crew teams out there for all of these events. I, I know that people will benefit from this. Um, if it's one or two people, we've at least helped somebody. So yes, and hopefully more in the future. Well, well, Mason, I told myself I'm not running a hundred miles. I'm not running a hundred miler in 2024, but I'm putting into these three lotteries. So, <laughs> you know, you know what that means, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I said after I, after I finished Wasatch, like I, I told the wife, cause I said, I'm done. This is it. This is the last one I'm doing. I'm over it. Like I'm not doing anything else until year eight next year. Or if I get into hard. So what you're saying is you and I will be running hard rock together next year. <laughs> I hope so, man. I hope so. Well, there you have it, all things Grindstone. A huge thank you to Troy and Steve as they relive the event, and we hope that this episode has provided some valuable information for you in your preparations for crewing this Beast Coast event. Also, would like to give a shout-out to Victory Sports Design by Victor Ballesteros and his team and their unmatched functional bag design for keeping Ultra Gear safe and organized. We have provided a link to their website in the show notes. Please give them a look. If you have any additional feedback or comments, please let us know. You can visit us at ultracrewhub.com and also on Instagram at ultracrewhub. Thank you for listening.